we get to change gears and we get to listen to God's word. And so I want to invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 113, which I know is a little surprising because we were planning to be in 1 Thessalonians, but then what happened is um, Matt Mole, who's the pastor here at Advent, at the congregation that owns this facility, had a surgery this week. They asked me if I could preach in their psalm series this morning. So I was here this morning preaching to their congregation, which was so much fun. And along with that, I'm just shifting gears and I'm asking you to open with me to Psalm 113, to a passage that has been feeding my soul throughout this week and which I hope will be nourishing for all of us together as a church family. These are hard days that we are living in. With so many weighty things all around us. These last few weeks we have seen images coming from Afghanistan that probably break our hearts. We're aware of global needs which are going unmet. Large Groups of people, hundreds of thousands of displaced people in our world with no place to call a home. Here in our nation, political and politicized divisions are ripping apart not only kind of states and cities, but even families and churches that have pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ And then in addition to these kind of broad brushstrokes, griefs that we carry with us, that we feel and see all around us as wide as the world is, we've also got these griefs and these pains that sink to the depths of our hearts individually. Griefs and pains that we feel related to our family, to our family scenarios, griefs and pains that we've been carrying with us maybe for months or for years, griefs and pains sometimes that we have a hard time even opening up with other people about. And so as wide as the world is and as deep as our hearts go, there's all kinds of pain and grief that I feel myself And yet this week, God has used Psalm 113 to lift my eyes to a slightly different level, to shift my focus away from these griefs and these pains, and to call me closer to Him. And I hope that God will use Psalm 113 in that way for all of us together. Let's give our attention to God's Word, which says... Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. And His glory above the nations. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. 
He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. We're going to take some time and walk through this passage a few verses at a time. We begin in verse 1 with the call of this passage, the call that frames this whole psalm at the beginning and the end. What is Psalm 113 all about? It is a call to praise the Lord. I think we sometimes miss how personal this call is. It's not just a call to be a religious person. It's not just a call to attend worship services. It's not just a call to sing or to go through the motions. The Psalms over and over, page after page, they call us specifically to praise the Lord in all caps. And when that word Lord is in all caps in your Bible, it signifies that this is the English translator's way of explaining that the Hebrew word in the original psalm is Yahweh. The personal covenantal name of our creator and our redeemer. His personal and covenantal name by which he has made himself known to his people. This passage is not just a call in general to sing and to be religious and to go through the motions. It's a call to know and serve and love and praise and worship. Not just a what, but a who. A Him. Yahweh, our Lord. And one of the ways that this passage helps and challenges me is it addresses... A problem that is common in my heart, a problem that may be common in many of our hearts, is the problem that we might describe as a spiritual eclipse of the heart. You know what an eclipse is, right? In a solar eclipse, something that is immeasurably larger... And incomprehensibly greater and more glorious, namely the sun, is momentarily blocked from view by something that in fact is far smaller. And in a solar eclipse, this almost incalculably larger and brighter and more glorious star, our sun is somehow, by way of vantage point, blocked. By what? By something dark and small. And something similar can happen very often in my heart, in this world with all of its griefs and its sorrows that we learn about in the news day after day. Something similar can happen in my heart related to the griefs and the sorrows that I carry around in my own life. I can get focused and fixed. I can kind of of get my, my attention locked in on the things that are going on right now in this world around me in such a way that they take over the whole field of vision. And these circumstances which are real... And by the way, God's Word never teaches us to deal with these things by just ignoring them or denying them or pretending they don't happen. The Psalms are 
brutally honest about things like poverty and shame and injustice and sorrow. The Psalms themselves are brutally honest about these conditions that we live in. But what the Psalms do over and over is they challenge us to not let those real world conditions eclipse our view of Him. Do you see what I'm saying? These things are real just as the moon is real. But these things in comparison with our Lord are almost incalculably smaller As large as they may be and as much as they may take over our whole field of vision. Compared with Him, they're almost incalculably smaller. And so one of the things that Psalm 113 does for me while I live in this broken, fallen, dark, hurting world that we all live in is it kind of calls me to a new perspective. It calls me to kind of shift my line of vision just a little bit. Not to deny the broken things that are around me, but to remember that He's still there. In all of His greatness, in all of His glory, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The Psalms call us to lift our gaze a little bit higher, to look past what would eclipse our vision of Him. The Psalms call us over and over and over again. And by the way, that repetition is important. If you're reading through the Psalms one morning at a time, you can start to roll your eyes in the back of your head and say, of course it says praise the Lord. Every Psalm says praise the Lord. It seems like it. There's a reason it's repeated. Because day after day and week after week, we need our attention to be lifted back to Him. This is the call of this passage to praise the Lord. To fix our eyes on Him. But as this passage calls us to praise the Lord, to fix our attention on Him over and above and beyond all of the other things going on in the world around us. It not only calls us to praise Him, it also gives us reasons to praise Him. Real reasons that are rooted in who He really is. And it begins by describing the Lord in His greatness. Why should we praise Him? First of all, because of His greatness. Look with me again at verses 2 through 6 here. This passage reminds us, first of all, of kind of His everlasting greatness. Verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We tend to get our field of vision shrunk down to what's going on this week. If we really think big, we start thinking about what's going on over a few months. If we're real visionaries, we're thinking about three years. We're called to praise the Lord who is worthy of worship from this time forth, not for three or five years, not for three or five decades, not for 90 years, but from this time forth forevermore. Our passage reminds us of His endless greatness. It also reminds us of His, what we might call boundless greatness in verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its setting. We probably could or should translate that from the place where the sun rises 
to the place where the sun sets. This isn't a measure of time, say 12 hours or something like that. This is a measure of distance. It calls us to imagine how far away is that place where the sun rises? Really far. How far away is that place where the sun sets? I don't know where that is, but it's way out there. The metaphor is designed to stretch our field of vision as wide as the world we live in. It's kind of like what the prophet Malachi does. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, using a very similar image, the prophet Malachi is writing, at, uh, is writing his prophetic message at a time when even among God's people, it's very rare to find those who are devoted to worshiping the Lord. And yet Malachi uses this picture of the stretching out of the sun from the place where it rises to the place where it sets to stretch out the field of vision for for the Lord and his for the Lord's people to stretch out our field of vision to realize even if I look around this place where I live right now and even if the spiritual climate looks a little bit dark amongst God's people these days God's word challenges us to stretch out our field of vision and realize how much wider the work of the Lord is. It calls us, Psalm 113 calls us to remember the Lord's boundless greatness. It also calls us to remember his exalted greatness, reminding us in verse 4 that the Lord is high above all nations. Reminding us that people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language or culture group on this planet will one day join in praising His name. And the point is that He is exalted over every nation on this planet. It reminds us furthermore of His unrivaled greatness. Verses 5 and 6, there is this question that kind of sings out of this passage for us, right? Who is like the Lord our God? The psalmist poetically kind of teases our imaginations. Who would there be to compare with Yahweh? Who is great like He is great? Who is awesome like He is awesome? Who is excellent like He is excellent? Who is holy like He is holy? Who is loving like He is loving? Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? I actually think there's something helpful in the way that the NIV translates those verses. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. You want to know how great and high and exalted the Lord our God truly is? If we think about the world in kind of a Hebrew mindset, there's the earth. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, where is that? It's way up there. Somewhere, way up there. And yet, Psalm 113 describes the greatness of the Lord like this. We're on the earth, somewhere way up there, as high as the heavens are above the earth. There's the heavens. 
But where is the Lord in this picture? According to verse 5, the Lord has to like put on his reading glasses and bend over and stoop down just to see all the way down to the heavens. As high as the heavens are above us, the picture is he's got to put on his spectacles, stoop down and look down there to say, oh, yeah, that's where the heavens are. And oh, yeah, the earth is even further below that. It's a picture of his exalted greatness high above the heavens, high, high, high above the earth. It's a picture of the Lord in his unrivaled greatness. Why should we praise him? Because of his greatness. And yet, Psalm 113, as it leads us in joining the prayer. Psalm 113, as it invites us and calls us to join the praise, is kind of setting us up for something. The author of this psalm has kind of set us up for a poetic surprise. See, as high and exalted as the Lord is in His greatness, why should we praise Him? Because of His greatness, which is especially revealed in the mercy of redemptive reversals. You see, as high as the Lord is, stooping down to look as far as the heavens and the earth, you know what else reveals His greatness? The way that he stoops down and looks at the heavens and the earth and doesn't stay detached. But the way that he stoops all the way down and looks at the heavens and the earth. And his heart of mercy and compassion flows out. Not even to the highest and most exalted of human beings. No, when he stoops down and looks at the heavens and the earth, his heart overflows with mercy, with compassion, with love, especially for the humble and the poor and the lowly. And this too should draw our hearts to praise him. The point that Psalm 113 is drawing us into is very similar to the point that the prophet Isaiah makes. In Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15, when Isaiah says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place. And you know where else? Also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Who is like the Lord our God? I dwell in a high and holy place and also with the one who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. Who is like the Lord our God? This passage considers, Psalm 113 considers His mercy which doesn't just reach down and pat people on the back. But to be sure, He is full of compassion. The prophet Isaiah promises us in ways that are echoed multiple times throughout the Scriptures, that one day our Lord will wipe away every tear from His people's eyes. Make no mistake, He is full of compassion 
But he's not only full of compassion. When he stoops down in mercy, he stoops down not just to pat us on the back, but to demonstrate his greatness and his mercy and his love and his power through stories of redemptive reversals for the humble and the lowly. What does that mean? What does that look like? Our passage speaks about lifting up the poor from the dust, lifting up the needy from the ash heap. The ash heap is a picture of shame. For some of us, shame is just kind of one of those roll our eyes words and move on. For some of us, shame reaches to the deepest corners of our hearts. This passage is speaking about those who have felt shame to the deepest corners of our hearts. And there is a promise that for those who from their place of lowliness, who look to the Lord in humility, He lifts us up out of that place. He loves us right there where He finds us, but He doesn't leave us there forevermore. In that place where we were wronged. In that place where when we remember it, tears come quickly to mind. In that place where we were shamed by others' words. He reaches down and He lifts us up and He seats us in places of honor. Or this passage goes another step further and it speaks of the Lord working out redemptive reversals, giving the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Think for a moment about the story of one redemptive reversal that is told in Scripture. It's the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. I don't know what Hannah envisioned her life would look like when she was growing up. Perhaps she dreamed of a husband who would cherish her and shower her with affection. I'd want to encourage young women to dream for that and nothing less. Maybe she looked forward at years ahead and she dreamed of kids around a dinner table every night laughing together. Those are good things to dream about. I don't know what Hannah dreamed about when she looked forward to what her life would be like. But by the time we meet Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's become apparent that none of these dreams are coming true. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, the text tells us that she has a husband, Elkanah, but she has to share her husband with another lover whose name is Penina. And as is always the case in Scripture, when such family dynamics happen, it doesn't work out well. Hannah's rival, Penina, has kids. Hannah has no kids. In a culture that probably unfairly judged a woman's worth too much 
by how many children she could contribute to her family or her community. Here's Penina with all of her kids. And here's Hannah with none. And it's not just the circumstances, it's the vicious words of her rival Penina who mocks her, who accuses her, who belittles her, who uses words to drive her to tears. Some of you understand what this kind of shame is like. 1 Samuel 1 describes how Hannah, in her tears and in her grief, was mistreated by her rival, misunderstood by her husband, and misinterpreted by the priest who should have been representing God's heart for her, but didn't. Why is her story in the Bible? Because in her place of lowliness, in her place of real grief, the Bible's honest about these kinds of details again, right? In her place of being shamed by her rival over and over and over again, she remained devoted to the Lord. She cried out through tears of grief and anguish year after year. She cried out to the Lord. And who is like the Lord our God? He listened. He heard. It didn't happen all at once. But he inclined his ear and he listened to her. He stooped down to hear one childless woman going to worship at Shiloh. He stooped down to listen to one childless woman and he granted her request. Perhaps not exactly in the way that Hannah would have imagined or dreamed originally. Perhaps not in the way she would have envisioned it or drawn up the life story for herself if she had the opportunity. But as she cried out to the Lord in her humility, in her place of lowliness and grief, which stretched out for months and for years, as she cried out to the Lord in her place of grief and lowliness and humility, her life is drawn up into the greater story of God's redemption. And her son is named, her first, her first son is named Samuel. The Lord listens. Her first son is named Samuel, the kingmaker of Israel, the anointer of the first kings of Israel. Her life story through the grief, the tears, the humiliation, the heartache that stretched out for months and years, her life is drawn up into God's greater story of redemption. This is what a redemptive reversal looks like. And as her story is drawn up into the greater story of redemption, she wrote her own psalm of praise. You can go and read the psalm. It takes up most of 1 Samuel chapter 2. But it includes these words. The Lord raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. To make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. Why do those words sound familiar to us today? 
Because the author of Psalm 113 has cut and pasted Hannah's testimony of praise and put them in Psalm 113 to put them in the mouths of worshipers across the centuries like you and me. The author of Psalm 113 has cut and pasted the testimony of Hannah who through her own experience of grief, through her own experience of her life story not working out the way she would have drawn it up, who through her own tears and crying out to the Lord for months and years discovered who is like the Lord our God, who leans all the way down to incline His ear to one woman without children. To hear her cry and to draw her life up into the story of redemption. Who is like the Lord our God? You see on our phones we have these, um, these apps, right? I'm going to shift gears here from God talk to phone talk for a second. But on, these, on our phones we have apps and... Um, And if you could imagine getting a little app on your phone called the Snap Judgment app. It enables you to just take a quick picture of a person and their appearance and their life circumstances. And it gives you an immediate read based on the externals only of how much worth and value that person has. If we take the Snap Judgment app and we take a picture of Hannah crying her eyeballs out at Shiloh, what does the Snap Judgment app tell us? Not a whole lot here to see. But what Hannah's testimony teaches us, and what Psalm 113 is drawing us to see, is that the operating system of the gospel is incompatible with the Snap Judgment app. Are you tracking with me? Sometimes your phone gets a operating system upgrade. It is really annoying because it take, it tells you like over and over, we're going to upgrade later today. We're going to upgrade later today. And then it's time to upgrade later today. And it's like, sorry, we don't have enough battery now. You know, and then you have to type in your passcode and then it takes longer to start up. And then you go and maybe you press the button for one of your old apps and you find out the app's all glitchy now. After the operating system upgrade, the old app just isn't working the way the app is supposed to function. And I know this is making Peter, John, and a few other people cringe because that's not the way it's supposed to work. But it does happen sometimes, right? Developers don't keep up. And so we press the button and it's like, ah, this thing's all glitchy. Why? Because this app is no longer really compatible with the new upgraded operating system, right? And what I want to suggest to you is that The Snap Judgment app that we all grew up using, taking quick reads of other people and saying, yep, I've got that person sized up based on what I can see of their outward appearance and of their current circumstances. That Snap Judgment app that we use to evaluate our life circumstances. Here's what's going on right now. And that gives me an immediate read of my value and worth. 
that snap judgment app that we use to evaluate our own souls and our own lives and the value and happiness and the worthwhileness of what we're doing with our lives, the snap judgment app that we've grown up using over and over and over again, it is not compatible with the way, uh, with the ways of our great redeemer. It's not compatible with the story of redemption and God's mercy which stoops down and brings about great reversals for those in poverty. Which brings about great reversals for those who are living in tears and grief and sorrow and shame. The problem is we're also used to using the Snap Judgment app that we keep trying to reinstall it. We keep trying to put it back on the phones of our lives. We keep trying to reinstall and we keep trying to evaluate other people. We keep trying to evaluate our circumstances. Look all this stuff going on right now. God must be through with me. When the fact is that the operating system of redemption is incompatible with the snap judgment app by which we take surface level observations alone. And come to deeper judgments about where this whole story is headed. The story of redemption, which Psalm 113 draws us into. It presents us with this beautiful gospel theme of redemptive reversals. And like a, a musical motif... I used an app analogy for tech people. Now I'm going to use a music analogy for the music people. That was, that was cool, right? But like a musical motif that reappears again and again, say in a movie score, we keep hearing this redemptive reversals motif coming up over and over again in the pages of Scripture. Whether it's the cries of thousands of slaves in Egypt... Or whether it's the cry of one woman at Shiloh. Whether it's the cry that Psalm 34 teaches us. I cried out and the Lord heard me. The Lord hears the humble and the lowly who cry out to him. I wonder where you've allowed the snap judgment app, so to speak. To dictate your view of your circumstances and God's relationship with you? In the Jewish tradition, this psalm, Psalm 113, all the way up to Psalm 118, is a part of a little collection of psalms that are known as the Hallel, the great Hallel. They're together kind of a hymn of praise which is traditionally sung as part of the Passover feast. At the end of the Passover meal, every year for generations by Jewish people. And this is interesting because the gospel accounts tell us that in the upper room, at the end of a Passover meal, on the night when he was betrayed... Before he went out into the night, it tells us that Jesus distributed the bread and the wine, and then the meal concluded, quote, when they had sung a hymn. And while it's not certain 
by putting these details together, we can get a picture of Jesus and his disciples singing these fitting lines together in the upper room. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, far down on the heavens and the earth, and He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them to sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of her children. Oh, praise the Lord! How fitting are these words on the night when He was betrayed. You see, when the Lord Jesus chose a text to explain his mission in entering the world, he he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah to that place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And since this was his mission, it is no wonder that when Jesus had promised, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he then led his disciples in a hymn of praise to the Lord of great reversals. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates once for all time the greatness of our Lord. Who leaned all the way down to the grave. Thereby opening wide the door for the greatest of all redemptive reversals. The redemption of countless men and women from every tribe and culture around the world and across the centuries. Listen, there's plenty in our world to steal our attention. There are plenty of things in our world to legitimately grieve. And yes, to the depths of our hearts, we feel real griefs and real sorrows over things that we ought not smile at. And yet here, here we find real and substantial reason to praise the Lord. He is great. And His greatness is especially revealed in His mercy, through which He reaches down And brings about redemptive reversals for those who are grieving, those who are mourning, those whose circumstances have felt stuck for months or years. He reaches down for the humble, for those who look in his direction and continue crying out by faith. And he doesn't just pat us on the back. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so what is our conclusion? As people who look around at a world full of suffering and who know sorrows deep within and yet who have been lifted and raised up to be seated in the heavenly places forevermore with Jesus Christ, we find ourselves joining in the heavenly song, Who is like the Lord? 
He is worthy to be praised.